You're listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the Internet to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web shapes popular opinion, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. My guest is Karen Horn. She founded Horn Communications LLC after she left WAMU, uh, where she was uh, the vice president of internal communications. Uh, WAMU is short for Washington Mutual, and uh, most of you will know this is a company that uh, is no longer because it was acquired by uh, Chase. Prior to that, she was the Senior Director of Employee Commitment at Cisco, and uh, we've actually had Jeanette Gibson from Cisco on the podcast, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes if you want to listen to that episode. And uh, we are with her here at the 2009 PRSA International Conference in San Diego, where she is delivering a presentation uh, titled Ground Zero in the Financial Crisis, Internal Communications, and the Collapse of WAMU. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Um, Summarize for us what happened. Well, it it was actually a couple-year run. Um, So if you look at, and I'll talk about this a little in the presentation, um, in the mid-2007, we know that the financial markets made drastic changes. That's when literally um, in the months of July and August, in my presentation, I'll show the, the uh, stock decline of WAMU and frankly, all the financial you know, companies. So in essence, things started going downhill rapidly then. And I'm sure people can remember all of that. So we were at the front end of that. Um, in the year 2000, we knew that something was going to happen, meaning that everything was continuing to collapse across the financial markets. And I'm not going to pretend that, you know, I'm the only one who knows about that. There are people in many, many, many financial institutions and or people who have suffered a loss of their homes or, you know, decline in interest rates or whatever. But essentially, on September 25th, the FDIC seized WAMU and sold it to uh, J.P. Morgan Chase for $1.7 billion. The company had about $309 billion in assets, and in essence, they seized us and gave us to Chase. For our international listeners, what's the FDIC? It's a federal uh, regulatory body that's intended to look out for the well-being of people. And so they determined that we potentially might be insolvent. Uh, just for the record, um, if you look at our cash levels at that time, that's that was a judgment call. It wasn't necessarily. We're listed as the biggest failure bank ba- failure in the United States. We were the sixth largest bank at that time. What does it mean for somebody that has a home loan with Washington Mutual? What did it mean? Because a lot of us were wondering, and my home loan actually was with Washington Mutual, now it's with Chase. But um, I was wondering, what does it mean? Like, who owns my house? And like... 
do I own my house? And if they go bankrupt, do I lose my house? I mean, there was a lot of confusion, I would imagine, right? Um, it might have seemed that way. We hope not. Uh, on September 25th, that meant that Chase officially at 6 p.m. Pacific time, Chase officially owned WAMU's banking assets, which contained all of the home loans. So in essence, that means that you or anybody else who had a loan with WAMU then became a Chase customer. And so you, while your paperwork or anything you're dealing with today may say WAMU, although I think they've done a nice job of trying to tell people that it will be Chase and, and they'll be phasing out of that. They're trying to make it easy for people. In fact, it's with Chase. So tell me about when you found out about this, what went through your mind? Well, it, it really happened in one day. Um, I talked about the about 18 months of turmoil and not knowing what was going to happen because of the decline of the banking industry. But we had been on a campaign. Now, again, knowing that we're speaking to communicators, our intention is to talk to communicators. Um, we had been on a campaign for about 18 months to, you know, help people through the changes. And um, but on September 25th, we uh, that if somebody looks at the specific dates, well, what very specific very specifically was happening in the United States that week. That was a week that Congress was trying to do the 700, the first $700 billion bailout. And there was a lot of controversy of whether or not Congress was going to vote for that. So what was happening that during that time was that our senior leaders had, in fact, were trying to, in essence, sell the bank. They had been told by the FDIC that you should try to sell. So... Um, they were trying to sell. What happened on September 25th is the, the uh, FDIC spoke up, said we're going to declare a sale to J.P. Morgan Chase for $1.5 billion. So we found that out in the afternoon that we were going to be seized yet that day. What time? Um, I actually found out about noon that we had heard our government relations people had heard the word on the street was that, uh, in fact, that might happen. And so we, How was that information relayed to you? Um, well, remember, I was the senior vice president of internal communications, so obviously we had a lot of informal channels. So uh, we had heard from our government relations that might happen. So, via phone, via email? Phone, you okay. Know, they, had, they had told our PR well, folks. Is the type of thing where you basically don't put this type of stuff in an email? That's correct. And also it was speculative at that point, too, except we knew it was probably really the truth. Is there a concern about phone communications? Um, no, not then. I mean, you know, you're talking with your, you know, coworkers, and so you need to do that, right? And so you need to know what's going on. So uh, we heard that. And so we were, of course, wondering what was going to happen. And like I said, that was early afternoon. By uh, about 4 o'clock, or actually in the next couple of hours, um, I sat down and scripted with one of my employees what we might tell employees, thinking if, in fact, that happens, that I would want to hear it first from our people. You know, it's sort of like, you know, the CEO of our company or our leadership might tell our employees that we need to tell you this, even at whatever time of day it is. And how are you thinking you're going to do this? Um, what, what channel are you going to use? We were going to, well, the only one we had right then would be email, but remember everybody in the company could do that, and that's not favorite, but remember that that's about 4 p.m. Pacific time, 
So therefore, you knew that you were going to miss the East Coast, but there are a lot of managers and other people who live on their Blackberries. And so my theory is always, while that's not the primary way, if you have virtually no time, and if in fact an employee hears it on the radio or television, if I look at my email or if I look at my BlackBerry, that means at least the company was trying to tell me as now, quickly you're, you're as Now, internal could. communications, Correct. but you're working with the external communications team, and I've got to think they're thinking, oh my God, if you want to notify employees first, and then one of these people wind up forwarding an email to press before we get a chance to control that news break, that's going to undermine our ability to do our job. Well, which obviously we wouldn't do that. And so what we were doing is preparing. We prepared a statement that we could send at the right time. Meaning so what's that the sequence? How do, when you've got a news break of right. that severity, right. that you want to do the best you can to get it out yes. in the best interest of the organization... How do you sequence the distribution of that information? Typically, we would do that absolutely simultaneously where it might hit somewhere else, knowing full well that it would hit, you know, whatever wire, it would hit that quicker, you know, than it might employees' email. I know that. So but that goes back. So you're going to use the news wire for non-selective well, disclosure? Well, the, the, the uh, PR folks would do what was appropriate, except we also knew if we were being seized by, by Chase, that Chase would be the one announcing externally, not WAMU. So our goal was to have something ready that if, in fact, we could sequence something with them, you know, it's like the whole thing of having a statement ready in case we could sequence something with uh, Chase that we could at the right time. So we were ready, knowing that it was an hour or two away that we could do that. When you, when you heard about this for the first time, how did you feel? Well, I felt like somebody kicked me in the stomach because we were, uh, you know, we had had a lot of gallows humor. I mean, honestly, because we knew that life was not going to be the same anymore. And so um, one of my colleagues had the presence of mind to take a picture of us in a room when we actually heard. So the sequence did turn out that Jamie Dimon, the CEO of Chase, did do an all-employee, if people wanted to, call in at 6 p.m. Pacific time. And so that's actually how many of us heard the news of listening to Jamie Dimon. So we have a picture. And that picture tells a story because you can see that people look like they'd all been kicked because they all knew that uh, we were a corporate headquarters. I'm not about the people in my team. Uh, we knew we were a corporate headquarters, and probably Chase didn't need another set of corporate folks. How long had you been there prior to this getting this information? I was lucky, if I were to say this, meaning that I was there just three years. But, you know, there were 37,000 people, so there are lots of people that lost their uh, pension. They lost all of their... 401, you know, if they had their 401k largely in WAMU stock, I mean, essentially, any of us who had WAMU stock, it's, it was worthless. And everyone inside the organization now has a motive to get out there and start saying bad things about the organization. Um, I suppose that's true. So for you as internal comm at this point, is your job basically arithmetic? Your job is just to convey, move information from one place to the next. And do you basically have no concerns about brand reputation at this point? Well... Or are you still, even though you know this place is going to shutter, are you still concerned with reputation? Um, Honestly, at that point in time... no, I'm also a realist. I knew it was over. So it was up to Chase to do whatever. Obviously, we were professionals, so we wanted to do the appropriate right thing. Um, because, in fact, one of the key points that I make in my presentation here is this is not a group of communicators talking about a layoff somewhere else in the company. You know, I mean, this is about real people. 
um, and all of the people that I was talking to, knowing knowing that you're sitting in a room full of people that, you know, it would be the same as any if you know if anybody. I, I personally haven't, but I you know you know if anybody's been part of a group fire, you know it's in essence what you're thinking. Because in essence, you're knowing that virtually everybody there's future is very uncertain. So not only they do they not necessarily or probably don't have a job, but any of the stock they had in the company or pension, that's probably not going to be worth anything either. So frankly, the ones that I feel really bad for are the people um, who were there for 20, 30 years. I mean, those are the ones my heart just goes out to them. Were you... During your, your, your term there, your three years there, were you working through, so, were you looking at social media? Was that sure. a channel you were analyzing? Oh, sure. In fact, one of the things that was really helpful to us, as you can imagine, I mentioned that this was basically an 18-month um, decline in the financial markets, as everybody remembers, because we were at the front end of it. But we very much used a blog. We used a leadership blog because that was extremely important. Um, if you think about it, as we all know, when you're building trust, one of the most important things is having your senior leaders in front of people. I mean, it wasn't as if employees had an absence of information. They fundamentally had too much information, and so they wanted to know who to believe, like any of us in today's world. So we created a C- uh, COO blog, and we picked the COO because he was a guy from Long Island originally, and he was a guy that people believed and was likely to be the most sort of plain-speak guy. And so that was very helpful to us because if you think about traditional things that people might have in their company, they might have a newsletter or some sort of a column or something that often happens that people have from one of their leaders. The problem was is if you have those, those come out on some frequency, whether that's monthly, weekly, or quarterly, or whatever rhythm somebody has. But a blog allowed us to sort of listen and to respond whatever we wanted to. So if we wanted to have our leadership say something three times on a given day, we could because it was sort of accepted that on a blog you might be that frequent. Um, if, frankly, not a whole lot of change in the world for a week, obviously people might be commenting or talking about things, but we didn't necessarily have our leaders say something. So that was a godsend for, to us, frankly. So, you know, we use that, you know, very well. It was a very important thing in our mix. So looking back now, having lived through this, having had this experience, and um, how many years, how long has it been? I mean, WAMU disappeared when? Uh, WAMU as a company on September 25th, we were seized, and, and so that's, that what was the year? end of WAMU. That was in uh, t- last year, just over a year ago. Right. Okay, so it winds down entirely. Yes. Right? It's gone now. Technology is moving very quickly. I mean, Twitter is probably much more of a force now than it was then. That's right. And so knowing what you know and being a communicator and also seeing the development of social media, what opportunities and what maybe dangers uh, would you call out to a C-suite leader who brought you in at a financial services organization and said, hey, you know, how do we make sure that we use these channels appropriately? I think that, you know, you said it very well there, was Twitter's bigger than it was a year, you know, just, you know, what, 14 months ago. And so it could be dangerous, meaning that, you know, we all know that people want to know the truth. We want to see what's in the future. But remember, as the external people have said, this was something that people had not seen in 100 years. And so, in fact, 
Um, you know, so while you wanted to have people be calm and say, don't worry, and you wanted to say everything's going to be all right, we all know that the reality is of saying too much is a problem, right? And so it's particularly when you're dealing in financial services and government regulations or just being concerned about that, I guess what I would say is use pick your media wisely and don't go out and say and do things that really you might look to see something happen that hasn't happened in 100 years. Thank God we didn't say a lot more stronger things of having people feel okay because that's what we all tend to want to do is make people feel like it's okay. And the reality is we weren't in a position to say that. A public company um, CEO comes to you and says, financial services public company comes to you and says, I want to blog. I want to launch a blog and I want to launch the blog. My objective is to make a market for our stock. What advice do you have for that CEO? Well, again, remember, I'm an internal professional, but I've certainly done external as well. Um, I have a couple things to say. One is making sure that you have something to say. I mean, I think that that's something that we don't think about so much, which is what are you going to say on a regular basis that people want to really hear? Why do they want to keep listening to you? People might while it's, while it's fun and new, but I think the ones that will last over time are ones where somebody had something clever or interesting to say. So I, I would do my best to make sure that it was the right person and that they wanted to do it for the right reasons, which might be that might be the right answer. Probably more times than not, it might not be the right one. Particularly if it's if the CEO wants to start it, that's great. If the CEO wants to limit it just to to that person only, that would be a problem probably. Unless they have such a following that they're such a big notorious figure that people want to hear what they have to say about anything, then that's fine. And that there are some CEOs like that. There are a lot of CEOs that aren't like that. Um, there is. Um some people believe that uh, we're transforming from a communication from a co- communication standpoint from a world where the center of the organization becomes this sort of spigot or a stopgap through which external audiences are informed to a world where um, the people in the organization would be the primary spokespersons. Um, you know, an example of this would be uh, the U.S. Armed Forces have a, a motto now: every service member a spokesperson and uh, there's been enough research out there to confirm and it's it doesn't you you don't have to be a genius to figure it out that people basically trust their friends and colleagues and their personal network more than they trust a spokesperson or a ceo or an elected official or even a, a, a newspaper reporter so you know if that's the case i mean is there is there an opportunity for internal communications to take the lead as the sort of communications consigliere to the organization that helps the organization inform its edges so that the edges of the organization can inform the world. I absolutely agree with you. I don't think there's... um I think that's probably always been true, but because of social media, that's particularly true. Obviously, we still need the traditional routes because people still want to know what the top person thinks or the top leaders think. But, you know, I think that's an excellent point you make. I personally think it's all a matter of control. 
meaning that at one point in time early in my career, and there are some companies that still feel this way, where the CEO still believes that they own the employees and they can control them. No, they would never say that, but they still sort of aren't with reality of realizing the value that those employees bring to talking to their neighbors or anybody else. So I absolutely believe that that's part of what we need to be doing, which is arming our own people. You know, and people won't believe propaganda. I mean, they are employees. You know, I've said that for years. PR people or media people get to just hopefully make a good relationship with somebody at um, either, you know, you know, print, broadcasting, whatever. Uh, internal people, we've got to make sure that the, all the people around us believe it as well. And it's got to be truthful enough that they get it and they care about it. Karen, um, final question. Um, single biggest lesson you learned as the VP of Internal Communications during the WAMU failure? Probably the value and the importance of something we should do all of the time. But I think, which is making a communication machine. And I'm going to say, okay, fine. People say, well, don't you already have that? I don't think most companies really do. Most communicators are great at, here's my message and I'm going to pitch it to these people. But they have shadow communicators throughout the company, or maybe they don't want to call them shadow, but they're all over. Whether you're internal, external, uh, investor relations or whatever, we created a space and a team that worked together for over a year that um, that was our communication machine, which meant that we knew how we could, we were listening, we met every week, and we talked about what was going on, who was ahead of some people, who was behind other people, so that we knew if we needed to target any group of employees, that we could do it. And we knew that, like in corporate communications, you don't always have that opportunity. You might really need to work through a different network of people. Let's say that your IT people you know, have a particular issue or any group of people, maybe your home loans people or whatever, so that you know what's going on within groups. Frankly, it's no different than the external world where, you know, the mass media concept is gone. I think that's true inside. And so we've got to be sophisticated enough to really target any groups. And that means listening as well as understanding how can we access them. You know, you've, that answer, I'd like to ask one more follow-up question. I've got to think that to be a customer support person taking phone calls from customers about their loans during that time was probably very difficult because I would think you've got people calling in basically afraid that they're going to lose their homes, you know, afraid about their shelter being taken away. They're they're going to be Mm -hmm. homeless. Sure. And now you've got an employee maybe has some insight into you know why we had this meltdown and maybe feels as though you know their industry maybe not their employer but their industry and monetary policy and the administration and the the fed all played a role in sort of duping the duping the other people and so at that point they have to make a choice do they put their loyalty there to their employer over their loyalty to their country, what do they do? And I've got to think it it had to be an incredibly stressful job to have at that time, right? And so your job, I guess, is to communicate to those people to to keep them going, to to give them the, the will to negotiate rates on behalf of a company that some may feel has undone the vibrancy of the economy. How, how do you do that? 
I'm not going to pretend that that's an easy answer. I will say that we had special and additional uh, teams working with those people to make sure that they would be comfortable with what they said with people or know what to say. So we recognize whether you were in a branch or whether or not you were in a home loan center or a call center that you were better prepared than maybe others to answer those things. And so hopefully you wouldn't be having that sort of a decision that you just talked about. Karen Horn of Horn Communications LLC and the former Vice President of Internal Communications at Washington Mutual. Thank you for joining me. Thank you. You've been listening to On the Record Online with Eric Schwartzman, where reporters and journalists go on the record about how they use the web to cover the news. For the latest trends, tips, and tactics on how the web impacts corporate reputations, subscribe to our RSS news feed or visit us online at www.ipressroom.com. 